Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. All right, well, good morning again, and welcome back to week number four in the Transformed uh, Message Series. Uh, the first two weeks, I talked to you about spiritual health and physical health, and then uh, last week, I told you the next three weeks are probably what I think are the most powerful and maybe the most impactful uh, in our lives, and last week, I talked about mental health, and today, what I want to share with you is regarding our health when it comes to our emotions, our emotional health. And so um, I hope that if you haven't already uh, gotten a book, and if you've got one, you, you've opened it up. If uh, you forgot your book today, grab one of the note takers, take your notes there, and then transcribe it over to the book, because I'm convinced that many of you are going to find these books in a couple of years, and you're going to the, get the dust off of them, and um, you're going to open it up, and you're going to read some of the things that God has put on your heart and it's going to uh, reignite uh, that excitement that you're experiencing now as you go through this series. So I hope that you take advantage of that. Um, when I think about emotions and emotional health, um, I can't help but remember back to uh, 2011. It was game six against the Texas Rangers. The Cardinals were down to one strike. One strike and the, the, the World Series is over. They've lost to the Texas Rangers. And I, went, I had gone to sleep. I gave up on them. And then I woke up because Carrie was jumping on the bed. And so I started celebrating too. Yes, Cardinals, way to go. She uh, showed me what emotions look like with that Cardinals win. Uh, maybe this is a little more familiar with you. Um, you're driving down the road, and you're coming up to a construction site, and um, everybody else got the same signs that you got for 10 miles that, you know, the left lane is going to end. And then as you get up there, there's this one person that just drives past everybody, and then they expect you to let them in. As a matter of fact, they don't even wait for you to, to give them the nod or a, a, a honk or a, 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 the wave. Uh, they just cut in front of you. And you experience emotions. Now, if you're the person driving the other car, you experience emotions as well. And it's not the same one. <laughs> but maybe one of the most uh, powerful examples that I've heard is a little two-year-old child uh, wakes up his mom at 3 o'clock in the morning, I had his little sippy cup, and he's tapping her on the forehead. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, Mom, I want a drink. Now, how would that mom respond to that? How would you respond to that? You know, you'd, you'd want to do something with that sippy cup, and it's not put Kool-Aid or water in there for them. But let me, change, let me give you the rest of the story. What if this child had never walked a day in its life? There was something wrong that doctors couldn't tell, but had never walked. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, 
he shows up in your bedroom tapping you on the forehead, you know what? You'd probably respond the same way that Carrie did to the Cardinals uh, going into game seven. You'd be jumping up and down on the bed. See, if it was just a, another three o'clock in the morning interruption by one of your kids, it's easy to get exasperated. But if that had never happened, you experience an entirely different set of emotions. You know what I'm talking about? Well, the reality is that as humans, we are all filled with different emotions. And I want to kind of help you understand why you do some of the things you do. Matter of fact, um, I would encourage you, if you haven't already committed to it, sign up and be here Friday night at 6 o'clock for the Relationship Upgrade Workshop. This is, if you're married, it would be good for both of you to be here. If you are single and you want to get married, you definitely should be here if um, you are coming out of a bad relationship, this is, the, this is the one that you don't want to miss. It will change your life if you show up. All right? I don't have the time. You wouldn't stay here um, on a Sunday afternoon if I shared that information. And so what we've done is we've set this time aside. And so this Friday, matter of fact, um, when uh, the, the service ends in the foyer, there's a sign-up sheet. And so uh, we need 20 people to sign up. And if 20 people sign up, we'll hold that. If not, we'll put it off until we can get um, more because it's uh, time intensive. And, but it, I'm going to tell you this, it's worth it. I'd encourage you to, to be here for that. Well, in week number one, I shared with you seven habits for spiritual transformation. Week number two, I gave you six things that God says about my body. Last week, I shared with you five ways to make the most out of your mind. And this week, what I want to do is something a little bit different, and that is um, I want to share with you five steps that will help you in your emotional health. Five steps when it comes to your emotional health. And the first step is this. You need to be willing to reveal my hurt. More often than not, I would expect that there is a past hurt that most of us in this room, most watching online, have experienced that drives you to seek relief in ways that are in opposition to God's word. It may be somebody uh, that uh, is in your life that's close and they just, they, they push your buttons and you respond in a way that's not Christ-like. And you don't want to respond that way, but you find yourself every time this happens that you respond in a way that's not healthy and you respond in a way that really hurts you and certainly hurts our testimony as Christians. You know, the Bible tells us in Philippians 4 and verse 13 that I can do all things through Christ. But when you're in one of those emotional fits, um, you, you would say that I can't do anything. Why? Because you've let your emotions take over. Matter of fact, uh, when you're struggling with a highly emotional situation, you usually let your emotions run the day. That event, that hurt, whatever it was, is the birthplace for an emotional wound. And I know each of us are carrying those. Some have a rucksack full, while others may just have a briefcase, and a couple just have a couple of sheets of paper in your Bible that remind you of the pain, of the hurt that you've experienced. And the problem is we keep looking at it through the same eyes that we experienced it 10 years ago, 
10 months ago, 10 days ago, or maybe on your way to church this morning. And here's what I want you to understand is that your mind doesn't know the difference between what happened 10 years ago and what happened 10 minutes ago. And so it responds, you have a physiologic response to that event 10 years ago. So if you got angry 10 years ago, when you think about it today, guess what you get? Angry. And for 10 years, you've just let that stew. And what's happened is uh, when you get angry, your body produces extra acid in the stomach. And if it doesn't ruin the lining of your stomach, it does to your intestines. And while you may just experience this as heartburn today, one day it may result in cancer. One day it may result in you having to have a part of your um, GI tract removed because of all the damage that has been created. And so instead of viewing it through the lenses of what you experienced 10 years ago, 10 months ago, 10 minutes ago, what I would challenge you is be able to view it through the God's eyes, through your loving Father's eyes. And to do that, you've got to be able to reframe your perspective. You've got to be able to step back and look at the truth differently. Remember last week I talked about there's facts and then there's the truth? Because what happens is we grab on to a fact, and then we run everything else through the filter of that one fact. And we, here's what I've seen a lot is when we grab on to one or two facts, we start assigning motive to that one fact. And then we take that one fact and we turn it into a lie. And we start living very differently. And then when we find out the truth, we, we don't have the humility to apologize for our actions that have happened since. And so what I would encourage you is reframe it and see it the way God sees it. And then reevaluate your emotional response. And was that a valid response? Or did you go a little cray-cray? More often than not, when we respond to a highly emotional event for us, very rarely do we do it in a healthy way. Very rarely do we do it in a Christ-honoring way. And, and I want you to know, you're not alone. Here's what the psalmist told us in Psalm 39, verses 2 and 3. He says, I kept very quiet. All right, that's a good start. You know, there's a saying, it says, it's better to be silent and thought a fool than to open up your mouth and remove all doubt. And so, so David, he's starting off really good here. He says, um, I kept very quiet. But then he goes off the rails. It says, but I became even more upset. How can, how can that happen? How can you keep quiet and yet get more upset? Well, last week I told you, we have the average human, and you guys are above average. The average human has 35,000 thoughts a day. And when something like this happens, like we're just going through them. We might hit that 80,000 for the day. And we become even more upset. The psalmist says, I became very angry inside. Do I got anyone that's ever became very angry inside? You weren't, you weren't showing it. You weren't throwing things. You weren't yelling things. You weren't waving at them. But you became very angry inside. Now watch this. And as I thought about it, my anger burned. 
You know, Ephesians 4.26 gives us a, uh, something that can help us. It says, be angry and sin not. Now, for the longest time, I thought that was impossible because it was impossible for me to be angry and not sin. For some reason, God blessed me with a lot of passion. That's code, that's preacher speak for anger. And so when I would read this in Ephesians 4 and 26, and it says to be angry and sin not, I, I thought that was impossible. And then I, I learned to read the rest of the verse. And it says, let not the sun go down on your wrath. So if you want to be angry and sin not, we're told in Ephesians, don't go to bed angry. Because here's what happens. When you go to bed angry, you fall asleep very quickly. And you sleep like a baby. And you wake up refreshed. No, that's not what happens, is it? When you go to bed angry, you sit there and you look at the ceiling and you, just like the psalmist says, it burns within you. But here's what the solution is. And I, and I love this about the, the Bible is that it gives you the problem. It gives you the solution. So the solution is to be angry and sin not. And here's how we are angry and sin not is that we don't go to bed angry. Now, is there something magical about 9 o'clock or 12 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning for some of you uh, when you go to bed that if, if you just don't go to bed angry, it's going to be okay? There's not. What it's saying is get it taken care of before then. Because inevitably what will happen is if you go to bed angry, you will wake up and the problem is 10 times worse. And nothing's changed. And then you go to sleep the next night, and it's a hundred times worse, and nothing's changed. And what Ephesians continues to tell us is if you go to bed angry, you give the devil a foothold. You give him a chance to come into your life and to destroy things. And so my advice to you is this, quit lying. See, I believe that we lie to three different people. We lie to ourselves. And I talked about that last week. And we believe those lies that we tell ourselves. Then, in turn, we lie to others. And lastly, and I don't know why we do this, but we lie to God. Anyone in here lie to God? Thank you, Carla. The rest of you, I expect you to repent someday. <laughs> Folks, we tell God lies all day long. We say lies like this, everything's fine, smile, real cheesy. Or we start listening and we tell ourselves these lies that there's something wrong with me. Or we start justifying our behavior because of the event that happened. And the reality is we don't have to because if we continue to read in Psalms, in chapter 32, in verse 3, it says these words, When I kept things to myself, I felt weak inside me. And listen, I moaned all day long. Now, I just, I'm, I'm going to share something with you that your friends and your relatives and the people that love you dearest probably don't tell you this. But when you are having a pity party, when you um, keep things within yourself, you don't really keep it to yourself that I moaned all day long. You can't hear yourself moaning, but everybody else can. I mean, they can hear you before you even come around the corner. Like, uh-oh, here comes Ronnie. 
What side of the bed he wake up on? Sometimes you can hear a loved one as soon as the car door shuts. Number two, if you want to get better emotional health, you need to release those who have hurt you. You need to be able to release those who have hurt you. And I don't care if the past hurt was 100% somebody else's fault that you have zero culpability in this. Now, the likelihood of that is slim to none. The reality is you own a little bit of that pie. And the truth of the matter is you probably created another situation with your response to their 100% fault. But here's what I want you to know today. Today, your reaction is 100% yours. That thing that happened 10 years ago, you own it today. The thing that happened 10 months ago, you own it today. The thing that happened on the way to church, you own it right now. You get to decide what you're going to do with it. And Romans 5.8 says this, and here's our example. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why you have to be willing to somebody who bears 100% of the blame, be able to release them from the hurts that they've given to you, not hold them accountable anymore. You know why? Because God did the same thing for us. Says while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He knew what we were gonna do. He knew how bad a life I was gonna live and yet he still got on that cross and stayed on that cross and died for my sins. He knew the most evil thing that you've ever done in your life and you'll ever do in your life, and yet he stayed on that cross for you. I used to make this statement growing up. I don't get mad, I get even. And I added to it, and then some. I was that one who kept it in. I didn't let anybody know I was angry, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Again, I encourage you this weekend, Friday, show up here at 6 o'clock. I'll explain to you why people say I don't get mad, I get even. And I'll show you that there's a lot more to that. You know, that might be a cute saying, but it's nothing more than pure 100% malice. It's evil. It's wrong. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says it this way. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. John Orberg, he, he uh, writes a lot of uh, books on this topic, and he says, bitterness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Bitterness against other people is like you taking the poison and you expect it's going to hurt them. Well, I'll show them. When somebody does something, you go get drunk. I'll show them, and then you end up with a DUI. And then you're calling them to give you a ride for the next six months. Bitterness calls you to go and spend money on drugs that you don't have. That puts you on a path that you can't get off of. Bitterness 
causes you to go and be, get into a relationship that you don't belong in, that destroys the one that you are in. That's what bitterness does. And you think that whole time you're doing those actions, that that'll show them they won't do that again. And that's just not the case. And here's what I want you to understand is resistance is futile. It, there's, look, you can't just say, I'm going to stop being bitter. I'm going to stop being angry. I'm going to stop brawling. I'm going to stop speaking slander. That's not the way it works. If it did, we'd, we'd all be fine and you wouldn't have to be here on a Sunday morning. But here's the solution. That, you remember last week when I said, you guys remember that pink elephant that was up here? For some of you, he just came back. You still see the sunglasses, the little cute hat, the toenails that were painted. And unless you replace that thought with the purple dinosaur that's over here, you're going to keep thinking about the pink elephant. And the same thing is true, that if you tell yourself, I'm not going to get angry anymore, and yet you don't take a positive action, you're going to get angry again. And in the rest of the verse, in verse 32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So if you have a problem with bitterness, you need to get used to giving some compassion out. If you got a problem with anger, then you need to learn how to forgive other people. I learned this from Gary Smalley, and he said this, that you can't stay mad at somebody that you're doing something nice for. Now, um, you, you probably are going to find this hard to believe, but uh, there was a day that, um, this one particular day, that I was mad at Carrie. I know. I know. I'm here to tell you, she deserved it. No, no. I'm sorry. She didn't deserve it, but I was still mad. And I remember what Gary Smalley said. And Gary said that if you, if you want to get over that, do something nice for those people. And so I was thinking, what could I do for Carrie? Nice. She'd already cleaned the dishes. She'd already, the house was already immaculate. And so I decided I was going to wash her car. So I backed her car out of the garage. I spent two hours. And, and when I started washing it, I was like, <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? She loves her little blue car. And I was hitting it with the sponge a little too hard. But something happened during that 90 minutes that I spent. And then I noticed when I had the shot back out and I was vacuuming the carpet, I was taking extra things out so that I could get all of it. And then when it was all said and done, I, I went in and I said, hey, uh, I washed your car. She came out, and she, she, oh, it looks great. Thank you. Gave me a kiss. Went back inside. And I think it was months later, because I'm not good in the moment to be able to have these kind of conversations. But it was months later, uh, probably when I was up and talking, and I gave that example, that she didn't even realize that I was mad at her. But you see, that's what happens. We drink the rat poison, and we think that we're hurting somebody else. And the solution isn't stop being angry. The solution is be compassionate. It's not stop going into a rage. It's be forgiving. 
Because you can't just stop doing one thing. You have to start doing something else. And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Romans 12, 17 says it this way. Never pay back evil for evil. Never avenge yourself. Leave that to God. For he has said that he will repay those who deserve it. Don't take the law into your own hands. How many sheriff's deputies do we got in here? All right, so don't take the law into your own hands, those of you who didn't raise your hand. Don't take these spiritual laws. Don't take these emotional laws into your own hand. Don't you dare go and try to do a citizen's arrest on somebody because they violated something. Let God take care of that. And you know what he continues to say there in Romans? He says, do good for them because what? If they really are mad at you and you do good for them, it heaps coals upon their head. I mean, I don't know what that looks like. But when I've been mad at people, I'd like to see a bunch of coals on top of their head. I want the red ones glowing. You know, and I want when they shake it off like there's a bald spot there. No, that's not what. But God says, let me take care of this. You know, I think that uh, too often we look at this 80 years that we're given, and some of you are on borrowed time already. But the 80 years that we are given, we don't realize that this is preparation for eternity. You are launching your trajectory for eternity, what you do in this physical body. And most, when they stand before God, are going to look back on their lives and realize they wasted it. They wasted it being angry. They wasted it on bitterness. They wasted it on malice. They wasted it on stuff that doesn't do anything prosperous for us. The third thing that we can do to build our emotional health is this, to replace the old lies with God's truth. See, we've got to learn to quit listening to the lies that we've been told. And many of you go through life and you tell yourself that you're not worthy. You tell yourself that you're not good enough. You tell yourself that I can't do that. Why? Because you had a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister a friend who one time told you that you couldn't, that you would never. And instead of buckling down and pushing through that, you listened. And not only did you listen, but you started repeating it to yourself. And 10 years later, you forgot who told you that lie because the only person you hear it from now is yourself. God tells us to let that go. How do you replace the old lies with the truth? Well, you got to expose yourself to the truth. Hebrews 4.12 says it this way. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I don't know if you realize, but that's sharp. You know, most of the knives that you handle have one edge on it. Why? Because we're knuckleheads and we chop stuff off that we shouldn't be chopping off. And it goes on. It says that the word of God pierces to the division of soul and spirit. See, it's your soul that's going to separate from this body. And so the soul and the spirit, the soul is who we are for eternity, and the spirit is what we encounter on a day-to-day basis. And the word of God has the ability, because it is alive and it's powerful, to, to separate between who you really are, and if you are a Christ follower, you are a child of the king, between that and what you act like sometimes, which is anything but a child of the king. And see, the word of God can, can cut right there and say, uh-uh, Ronnie, you know better. 
Because when somebody else says that, uh, I get mad. When God's word says, I get mad too, but he's a little bigger. And it's hard to do something against God. And so everybody else gets to pay for it. Not only does it pierce to the division of soul and spirit, but it says of joints and marrow. And I don't know if you're familiar with the body, but inside all of your bones, especially the long bones, um, there is a bunch of bone marrow. This bone marrow um, gets absorbed by your bloodstream and it goes out and it provides nutrition and health. Matter of fact, it makes up the white blood cells that go and fight off all infection. And when your body isn't making the, the marrow, isn't creating those white blood cells, your body can't fight off the toxins that it gets exposed to. It can't fight off the bad things that are inside you. And then what happens is that those bad things overcome and destroy us. It goes on and it says that the word of God discerns between the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. You know, sometimes we wake up and say, you know what, I want to do something good today. But then when we start acting it out, we don't follow through on that. And we start doing things that are very self-absorbed, very hedonistic, very narcissistic. And the Bible tells us that God's word, when we read that, it shows us, hey, 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 don't do that. You know better. But my friends, you've got to read God's word for that to take place. You know, that double-edged sword is harmless when it's inside the sheath. Your Bible is harmless when it's sitting closed. It's when we open it up and we start reading the words that speak to us. Because, see, this isn't just an old couple thousand years book that was written in a different language that's been translated into English. No, this is the word of God. It is quick and powerful. It has the ability to separate your thoughts and your intentions. But you've got to read it. Our key verse for this passage is Romans 12 and verse 2. It says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So if you've been following along, you realize that what you think decides what you do. Our thoughts drive our behaviors. If you've got the workbook and you've been going through the days, and maybe one of the hardest things is it has three questions. And the first question is, what did you hear? The second question is, what do you think? And, and I've got to tell you, it's been fun listening to you like, oh, I don't know what I should put down there on what do you think. Here's what I want you to understand is, if you don't start putting something down there, if you want to be transformed, you need to start filling in the what you think part. Because what you may realize is that your thoughts are way off course. And if you don't put it down there and you don't recognize it, if you don't talk about it and discuss it, what you'll find out is that you're following the wrong course. And while you follow that wrong course, you will end up at a destination that you had no intentions of being in. But you've got to let God's word change the way you think. Because if, have you ever heard of Einstein's theory of insanity? Einstein's theory of insanity is this. If you continue to do the same thing and think you're going to get a different result, you're insane. 
And how many times do you go through a relationship? How many times do you go through life? And you're like, you know what, man? You know, I always get mad when this happens. And nothing changes, and you keep getting mad, and you're like, and you keep taking yourself to the same place. You keep allowing the same words to be spoken into your ears. You keep believing the same lies, and you keep having the same result. If you want to be transformed, if you want to change the way that you think, you've got to get God's word and put it in your heart. That's the only way that this happens. Hebrews 2, verse 11 says these words, Jesus who makes people holy and all those that, who are made holy have the same father. Listen to that. Jesus who makes people holy. Now, I would bet that there's no one in this room, if I asked, are you holy, you would raise your hand on your own account because you realize that there are things that you've fallen short of holy. But God's word tells us that Jesus makes us holy. And he says that those who are made holy have the same father. Day two in the, in the devotions talked about Abba, Father, that you have the same relationship with God that Jesus Christ did when he was here on this earth. But most of us, we just, we, we, we are, your, your brain would explode if you thought like that. If you realized that you have the same access to God that Jesus did when he walked on this earth. He goes on and says this, that is why Jesus isn't ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Now, does anyone here have a family member that they're embarrassed of? If you're not raising your hand, I know who the one in your family is. (laughs) But they're still family, aren't they? You make excuses for them, don't you? you? They frustrate the snot out of you but you still love them. But let me tell you something. God is not embarrassed by you. He's not embarrassed by the way that you behaved. He's not embarrassed by what you said in a fit of anger. He's not embarrassed the way that you've treated people in his name that was anything but Christ-like. He's not. So quit living like God's embarrassed at you. You know, most people won't come into church because they think they're not worthy. And they don't realize that what all God did for them and what he's willing to continue to do, knowing the very worst about us. The fourth thing we can do to improve our emotional uh, state is this, to refocus on the future. Now, I hope you're not one of these people, but there are a lot of people who spend way too much time going through life looking in the rearview mirror. They, they're focused on that hurt, that event that happened in the past. And they won't let it go. And because they keep watching in the rearview mirror, one day they're going to have another accident. Job 11 and 13 says it this way. It says, put your heart, and when you see the word heart in the Old Testament, what does it mean? It means mind. So put your mind right. Reach out to God. Put away evil and wrong. Face the world again, firm and courageous. I ask this question all the time. Why did Job have to suffer? 
If you're not familiar with the story of Job, let me just tell you in 90 seconds. Job was a very wealthy man. Matter of fact, uh, Satan had recognized that, that he was incredible. He was a great witness of God. And, he, and, and Satan went to God and, and said that Job would, if you took away the good things that you've given him, God, he'd curse you. And ultimately, God said, you go ahead and do that, but you don't touch his life. And the story tells us how that he lost all of his sons and daughters. It didn't stop there. Then all of his crops were burnt. All of his animals were stolen and driven off. He was left with nothing but his wife. And yet he was given this advice. Put your mind right. Reach out to God. Put away evil and wrong. Face the world again firm and courageous. And you know what? One day, when Satan was done, God restored everything, and he gave him double. What's interesting is, I believe he had eight sons and daughters, and when everything was restored double to him, he was given eight more sons and daughters. And, and if you know math, you're like, well, well, that wasn't double. The reality is this, he never lost the first eight. He had them for eternity. And God didn't have to give them 16. Not to mention, that's a lot of kids. <laughs> My inter- one of the guys that I worked with in Afghanistan, um, he had 19 kids. All with the same wife. One mom, 19 kids. Now, he had a theory. I'm not going to go into it here. Um, but he had a theory on why he kept having children. It was wrong. You see, we need to put our mind right. We need to reach out to God. It continues in Job in chapter 11. It says, then all your troubles will fade from your memory. All your hurts will fade from your memory. Like the floods that are past and remembered no more. I don't know if you've ever experienced a flood, but Carrie and I went through this. It was named Hurricane Katrina. We're living down in Biloxi, Mississippi. And one of the rules of thumb, if you live anywhere on the coast where hurricanes are, that if you ever see Jim Cantore, leave. Like like if you look, they have this map, and and it's like 200 miles. Somewhere in these 200 miles, the hurricane is going to come ashore. But you know what? Jim Cantore only shows up to one place. And every time, it was at the place that it came ashore. And, and so this hurricane was out there, and it was brewing, and um, we had a promise keepers, and there was 20 of us men that we went over to this event. I mean, it was incredible, and about halfway through that Saturday, they came on, and they stopped everything. They said, look, if you live west of here, you need to go home and get ready. The, the hurricane is coming. They're expecting it to make landfall there. And I remember the 20 of us, we, we left the meeting, we were out there by our cars, and, and we got in a circle, and we prayed, and, and we just asked God, show your power and move this hurricane from the coast of Mississippi to Texas. Because Texas is a big state, it can handle it. Little old Mississippi, we didn't want that. And so we asked God to show his power, and I think he quit listening after we said, show your power. I remember after the hurricane, a good friend of mine, Howard Boudwin, he said, Ronnie, he said, 
the Gulf Coast is going to be better 10 years from now because of this hurricane than it is today. See, he'd lived through hurricanes. He knew what he was talking about. And sure enough, if you go down to the Gulf Coast, it is a better place because of the destruction that happened with Katrina. And I remember as we were trying to watch and catch every snippet of news that was coming out about the hurricane, all we heard was everybody that got interviewed on CNN or whatever, they would say, I lived at the highest point in Biloxi, and and it was up to the second story of our house. Now, I remember going to City Hall, and I remember seeing our plot, and I remember seeing the elevation, and I knew that we were at the highest elevation in the city of Biloxi. And so every time we heard that, because we weren't seeing any pictures, we were worried if, if, if that was happening there, what happened to our home? It turns out that they didn't live in the highest place in Biloxi uh, because we didn't have water in our house, but we had this giant tree that fell on it. We had just finished a makeover uh, maybe a, a year or so earlier and taken a house that was um, dilapidated and worn down and just totally revitalized it. And then after this hurricane, we got to do that again. But a lot of things happened during Hurricane Katrina and the weeks afterwards. We were uh, up in this area, actually, and Carrie's dad had got caught in a house fire and was killed. During Hurricane Katrina, we got to see the best and the worst in humanity. In your hurts and your pains and the floods that come into your life, you're going to see the best and the worst in humanity. When I look back and I think about Hurricane Katrina and I think about that prayer where we said, God, show your power, he did. Because I was driving down Pass Road. And as I'm going down there, I had a trailer and I had a full of a bunch of, of, of goods that we were giving out in the different neighborhoods. And I stopped at a red light, and the, uh, the guy uh, beside me, he rolled his window down. He waved at me. I rolled my window down. He said, hey, can I get some of that stuff? I said, yes, you can. I said, all you got to do is go down to the church. They'll, they'll fill your car up. He goes, do you mean Bay Vista? I said, that's the one I mean. See, on Pass Road, there was 100 different churches. And when I said go down to the church, he knew which church. Why? Because we had thousands upon thousands of volunteers that came in and that stayed on our property. We were a distribution point. I mean, when everything was taken away from the Gulf Coast, the churches stood up. Christians all across the country filled them. Business owners sent semis down. The governor of Mississippi is, is on record on this many times that it was faith-based organizations that allowed Mississippi to recover. Not the government, not FEMA, faith-based organizations. He met the church. What's your Katrina? What's the event in your life that just wiped you, destroyed everything around you? broke every relationship that you were in, took everything from you that you valued. What's your Katrina? You may be in here today sitting there comfortably, but you're carrying something around that you feel guilt about. 
you may be there and you are carrying around shame. Maybe you're sitting there and you've got a smile on your face, but yet underneath the surface, you are seething with anger about something, a hurt, a Katrina in your life. Maybe you're here and nobody else can tell, but you are petrified. You are frozen with fear when it comes to taking action in your life. I'm gonna give you the same advice that Job was given. Put your mind right and reach out to God. Because if you'll put your mind right and you'll reach out to God, all of your troubles will fade from your memory. You know, there was a lot of devastation that happened with Katrina. But you know what? We choose, when we look back at Katrina, we look at the blessings. We look at how that city became a better place. We look at how, because of that, it allowed us to sell a house that we got for $34,000 for $150. When we look at Katrina, we could look at all the hurt and the devastation, or we could look at all the good that came from it, because there is a lot of good. And I'm here to tell you that I don't know what your Katrina is, but you have a choice. You can either look at the devastation, you can look at the pain, you can look at the suffering, you can look at the brokenness, or you can decide that you are going to see what God sees. You're going to reframe it, and you're going to see that God has taken what the enemy meant for evil, and he is going to turn it into good. That's a choice, folks. You don't have to. You can focus on the bad stuff or you can focus on what God is going to do. We call that hope. If you want to refocus on your future, you need to look straight ahead. Proverbs 4.25 says that, with honest confidence. Listen to me. You need to look straight ahead with honest confidence, not false bravado. Look, I'm, I'm not a fake it till you make it kind of guy. I'm the one, I want hope. I want to, I know that God has something great planned for you. The problem is most of us, we give up on God before he ever has a chance for his plan to work. We give up on God on relationships that we want him to restore, on promises that we believe that he's made to us, and we give up before he has a chance. And one day when you get to heaven, he'll show you, Ronnie, oh, you were so close. You were so close. And you left it all. Look straight ahead with honest confidence. Don't hang your head in shame. Why? Because you're a child of the king. Today is the day that we need to start acting like a child of the king. We need to start acting like we have an inheritance that's out of this world. We need to start acting like there is something better to live for than what we look in the rearview mirror and see in our lives. We need to start acting like we serve a God who can take the worst, even if it's self-inflicted, and turn it into incredible blessings. And the last thing after you reach out to God for help is this. You need to reach out and help others. You need to reach beyond yourself. I believe that God... God wants to redeem your pain. God wants to redeem the hurt. 
God wants to redeem the brokenness. And, and if, if God could whisper in your ear right now, he's here to tell you that if you'll stick with it, if you'll have your faith in him, that 10 years from now, you will be better because of what you're thinking about right now. Probably one of the saddest things when I think about Hurricane Katrina is after a hurricane, they have these things they call blue roofs. And what happens is people come in and they cover it with these blue tarps. And, and they do that because it's inundated and your roof ain't getting replaced for six months or nine months. Seven years later, maybe even today, if I went down to Biloxi, there are still houses with that same blue tarp roof. I wonder how many Christians are walking around with blue tarps on their roof. When the king, the creator... Your father has all the resources to, to provide you a new roof, and yet you waste it on something else. They got money from the government to replace that roof, and yet they spend it on something else. Listen to me. Don't waste the pain. Don't waste the hurt. Don't waste the troubles that you've gone through. Let God redeem them. Let him buy them back with the blood of his son. Let him take them and give you something new and better because that's what he wants to do. I believe that the greatest ministry opportunity is gonna come from your deepest hurt. Many of you are experiencing that already. The thing that hurts you the most has given you the most impact to help other people. The thing that almost destroyed you, almost killed you, is the thing that you now use as a platform to tell other people about the greatness of God. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says it this way. God comforts us every time. How many times? Every time. You know what that means in the Greek? Every. That's right. There's no exceptions. It doesn't mean that he's going to um, comfort you only when it's not your fault and it's not your problem. It says that God comforts us every time we have trouble. Why does he do that? Because he's not embarrassed of us. He's our father. So when others have trouble, we can comfort them with the same comfort that God gave us. Folks, I've watched this happen in life group. I've watched many of you share a hurt, share something that's happened in your life, and you, you didn't know it when you started sharing it, but there was one, two, three other people who were going through the same, they were in the fire right now, and they needed to hear from somebody who got out and who, who recovered, and then you get to minister in their life. But the reality is this, folks, you've got to show up got to speak. You got to allow the hurts that you've experienced to heal other people because that's why God has allowed us to go through it. I, let me answer the question. Why did Job get picked on? See, Job was a righteous man. There was found no fault in him. So why did he lose all his children? Why did he lose everything that he owned? Because today, millions of people have read the story of Job. And millions of people today make it through their trial because of the way Job made it through his trial. 
And I'm here to tell you that I believe that the trials, the hurts, the troubles that you've gone through, if you will give that to God, if you will reach out to him, he will in turn bring people into your life that you can reach out and heal with the same pain that has destroyed you before. Wouldn't it have been nice if somebody was there for you? The answer is yes. All of us want someone there. And God has equipped you to do this. 2 Corinthians 5.17, last verse, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. See, when you see that word transform, that's what we're talking about. That brand new person, he's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Here's what I would encourage you. Today's the day. If you walked in here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't walk out here without that. Don't listen to the lies of the world. See, the lies of the world say this. How could a loving God send somebody to hell? It makes sense. How could a loving God, a God who is love, do that? See, it's impossible for any of us to have lived a perfect life, and that's the requirement. And so what God did was that loving God, he sent his only begotten son to live a perfect life that neither you or I could, to be rejected by religious people, to be killed on a cross so that our sins could be paid for. And then three days later, God brought him back to life so that he could prove to everybody that he was the son of God. I would encourage you, if, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and you believe those words, it, here, Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was the son of God and was crucified and rose again, you will be saved. If that's you today, I would fill out one of these cards and I'd mark right on there. I, I'd de dedicate my life to Christ the first time. Maybe you come into church today and it's been a long time since you've, maybe you've been coming to church for the last couple of months and yet you know you were just going through the motions. You were just sitting there until the service was over so you could move on. And you realize that, you know what, you don't want to finish life the way that you've been living up to this point and you want to rededicate your life to Christ, fill out one of these cards and check that. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. Are your moms ready for this? Mother's Day next Sunday, and we also are having Baptism Sunday. Just a few weeks ago, you saw us see, watch 16 people get baptized. Right now, um, you could see another 15 get baptized next Sunday. Why? Because people are recognizing their need for a Savior. Now, you know, and, and I've told you this many times, that getting into that water, it does not save you. What, all it does is show everybody else what's happened on the inside. And so if you're one of those people where you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and you've never followed in believer's baptism, all that is is a step of obedience. Fill out the card, check the box. And then I'll reach out to you this week and let you know what you need to do. I'm here to tell you that God loves you. He cares for you. God wants to take your Katrina. He wants to take your hurt. He wants to take your pain. He wants to take your trouble, and he wants to use it for good.
But the only way that God will do that is if you let him. See, God's not like us where he forces himself upon us and he tells us what we're going to do and makes us. He's given us a free will. If I were you, and I had a God that loved me like that and was willing to forgive me like that, I would reach out to him. Will you stand up and as the worship team comes forward, They're going to lead us in a song called Draw Me Close to You. And I hope that you use the next five minutes. I don't know where you were when you came in today. I don't know what was on your mind or what you were focused on. But for the next five minutes, I challenge you. I encourage you. Focus on Christ. Reach out to God right now. You can do it physically. You, can, you need to do it with your mind. Because he's the one who's got the solutions. He's the one who can take all that hurt, all that pain, and use it for good. Use it so that you one day can bless somebody else because what you went through. What you went through that was not your fault. That wasn't your doing. Your heavenly father wants to heal you. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.